while the AIDS epidemic is in decline, the prevalence of HIV in Zimbabwe remains among the highest in the world. The U.S. now proposes a cut in AIDS prevention. With me are speakers Lois Maturu of Zimbabwe and three gals from Result who support her work, Amanda Beals, Alice Aloch, and Christy Renner. Well, welcome, ladies. Thank Thanks you so much. Ms. Maturu has spoken around the world around the fight against TB and HIV AIDS. She has also contributed to in a variety of national policy contributed to a variety of national policies, guidelines, and training curriculum. Lois is also a member of the community's delegation to the board of the Global Fund and the steering committee of the Y Plus Network of Young People Living with HIV. Lois Maturu, let's start with you. Would you please tell us about your hometown in Zimbabwe? Where did you grow up? And describe it for us. Be our eyes and ears, if you will. Okay. So I would say um, it's a low-income country, Zimbabwe. And um, where I come from, I live in a, a rural district. It's in the much central part of Zimbabwe. And... Um, there's a lot of high disease burden, not only in the rural area where I'm working and staying, but generally in Zimbabwe, the epidemic is so high. Let me ask a few questions about, a little bit more about your hometown. Like, what was it like growing up? Okay, so I grew up um, with my mom and my dad, only in 2004 in 2002 when I lost my mother and my younger brother um, due to age-related illnesses and it was one of the most devastating experience for me because I had lost the people that were close to my heart and you know there was a lot of stigma going on around people who have HIV and people who've got tuberculosis and you know that time when I lost my mother and my younger brother a lot of people in Zimbabwe were dying and the biggest business that was going on was making coffins because a lot of people were dying but it all turned around when the global fund to fight AIDS tuberculosis and malaria came to Zimbabwe to really support um, in making sure that people have access to tuberculosis, HIV and malaria medicines. And it drifted a lot. And we now we no longer see people dying. We no longer see um, people having to have long queues waiting to access whether tuberculosis or um, HIV medication. And for me, really, it came at the right time because in 2004, when I was just 12, that's when I started severely get, getting really sick, coughing a lot, and I looked very uh, skinny, and, you know, and I had to stop school for some months. And... When I was walking in the street, people would stare at me in a very uncomfortable way because of the way that I looked. And one of my aunts that I was staying with after the death of my mother and my younger brother went with me to the clinic and she was told that I have HIV and tuberculosis. And, you know, she didn't tell me that time because she was scared that I was very young because I was only 12 
and felt that I wouldn't understand about it. But later on, after some weeks, that's when she decided to tell me that, you know what, Lois, when we went to the clinic, you were found out that you've got HIV and tuberculosis. Tears started to drip off from my from my eyes and you know, I thought that I was just gonna die just like how my mother and my younger brother passed away. And you must have been very frightened to have both tuberculosis and HIV. That sounds complicated. Yeah, it is. It was like that time in two thousand and four, that's the time as well when people we said, Don't share carbs. Don't share, don't sit next to a person with HIV because you can contract HIV. And, you know, it was very scary at that time. And But I was very fortunate that I managed to get access to tuberculosis uh, medication from a global fund-supported uh, clinic in Zimbabwe. And, you know, my life turned around. I managed to get my health back. But psychologically, you know, it wasn't really going so well with me. Though I had got back my health, you know, I started to look healthier, but emotionally and psychologically, I wasn't well. So I was very fortunate that I managed to get access um, to support from a local community-based organization in Zimbabwe called Africade. So that merge between me being able to access medication and getting the psychological support, it really worked well for me, for me to be this um, confident, healthy, beautiful young woman that I am today. I'm so glad that that did happen. Yeah. It seems that social work and counseling are some of the things that are often forgotten when we yes. think about aid. It's very true because these things really complement each other because, you know, it's not easy taking antiretroviral therapy every day when you're so young. Even even someone just taking some medication for, for a certain illness, it's very hard even for adults. What more when you're young and you know you're supposed to take them for the rest of your life. So this is why it's really important that we have the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis and malaria be invested in because they also work to support community-based organizations to be able to match the clinical and the psychological support that someone who's living with HIV really needs to be able to fulfill their dreams and hopes for the future and be able to live longer just like anyone who's HIV negative. Sure, with all those dreams of what you'd like to be when you grow up. Yeah. <laughs> um, to take you back a little bit, I know you're 27 now, but what was it like when so many people were dying of AIDS? Was there a sense of, we don't have a future? Yes, it was more like that. And, you know, there were myths and misconceptions about people with HIV. And, you know, like I have mentioned before, but the business, the big business that was happening those days were like coffee making like making coffins for people uh, to be buried in. And, you know, it was very scary because you would always think that maybe your loved one is going to die. And, you know, people didn't want to be associated with the family who's, um, who's got HIV or tuberculosis. And, you know, the myths around having tuberculosis People thought that automatically you've got HIV 
Whereas it's not always the case, but of course, um, for someone who's HIV positive, they are prone to getting opportunistic infections like tuberculosis because their immune system um, is very low. And this only happens if someone is not on antiretroviral uh, medicines, which is a life-saving drugs, which is being supported with the Global Fund. So... It it changed. Things changed, and people who are HIV positive um, are getting married. Like for myself, I also wish to have a beautiful family because I know that with the Global Fund um, support in Zimbabwe, I'm able to give birth to HIV negative babies that are very healthy. And you know, this is something that I'm really happy about because you know I also want to have my family and also give love to my kids like you know growing up I didn't have that kind of love of a mother when you really needed it and it was really devastating for me as well because the only thing that I wanted was love nothing more nothing less and I couldn't get that when I grew up and having had lost my mother and being an orphan as well it's really um, a big challenge as well especially when you're orphan because of AIDS. And there's a stigma against AIDS orphans? Yeah, there is a lot because, you know, when you're HIV, when you contract HIV and you are not aware that you've got HIV and you start uh, gradually getting sick, you know, people can actually uh, detect that you're HIV positive, which is really bad for someone to detect that you've got HIV because nowadays people are looking healthy. You never get to realize that that this person is HIV positive. But if someone doesn't have access um, to this kind of services, doesn't have information in terms of uh, this kind of um, diseases, then, yeah, people will notice and you face a lot of stigma around it. So we really encourage people who are not open about their HIV status to really go for HIV testing services and be put on treatment if they're found um, HIV um, positive. So this is the nature and the greatest part of the Global Fund support um, in Zimbabwe. So do people now know what causes AIDS and there's more information and a little bit less fear now that there's some help? Or is there still a lot of stigma and misinformation out there? So I can say when the AIDS epidemic started and looking at it now, there's been a tremendous um, improvement, but there's still a lot that needs to be done. And I would like to say the, our government of Zimbabwe, through the Ministry of Health, they have really worked so much to making sure that we've got community campaigns to really give people information so that people understand that if you have HIV, you can live a normal life. But if you don't take your life-saving drugs called the antiretroviral therapy, it means you'll go to the AIDS stage. So people really confuse this too because people think that HIV and AIDS, they are the same, but it's totally different. That's why the Global Fund is working to making sure that people don't end up to the AIDS stage because this is a dangerous stage of HIV because it means that you're going to die anytime soon. That's why the Global Fund is really fighting so hard to making sure that people with HIV don't reach to AIDS stage so that we limit the, the death rates. Yeah. Sure. So in the country in general, is there more awareness around the causes of AIDS? I mean, in general, just all over mm -hmm. the country, is there more of a sense of, oh, we're getting on top of this, and this is how you transmit it, not any of these mm -hmm. other things? 
Yeah, there's a lot of um, campaigns, advocacy campaigns that are going on. And I'm also part of those campaigns, really trying to share my story and educate people who are also living with HIV to say, you know what, don't look down upon yourself. You're worthy. And, you know, also encouraging people who are also HIV negative to say, you know what, you need to keep yourself safe. You need to practice safe um, ways of living so that you don't contract HIV. Because we are in an epidemic where we know what needs to be done to making sure that people do not get HIV. People uh, do not have multi-drug resistance. So a lot is being done, but we still have a long way to go in terms of people understanding the myths and misconceptions around this kind of the three diseases, especially HIV and tuberculosis. So you are seeing some improvement in terms of public education around this. Yes. You know what, with HIV, it's really hard to see how personally someone feels about it. It's different living with the virus and knowing about it. The moment someone gets the HIV virus, they cry, they feel devastated, but they knew about this kind of issues. You know, that kind of dilemma that you're not in the situation, that's why you're preaching about it. It's different when you've got it. You know how it's like, like personally. So I think it's more of changing the people misconception, changing people's behaviors. It's really hard. It's a process. It's like a counseling session. Counseling session, it's not a once-off event. It's a process to make someone understand and change their behaviors, change their attitude, change the way they handle their life. That's more of like trying to give people information around HIV and AIDS. So that's how it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it's one thing to know something, but it's another thing to really have it in yes. your heart. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Alice, tell us a little bit about Result.org and your connection with Ms. Maturo's work. Sure. So Result is a movement of passionate, committed, everyday people. And together we use our voices to influence political decisions that will bring an end to poverty. Um, and the other way I like to look, up, uh, to look at it too is Result has a dual mission. So the first part of that is to end poverty. And it doesn't matter if we're doing it locally or globally. And the second part of it is to foster an advocacy movement to make that happen. And so with that model, our model is we have uh, groups across different states within the country. And I would say in most of the states where we don't have a group, we do have representation of results, which means we have people who are actually taking action with results. So that's uh, that's how results is constructed and um, how we are related with uh, how we came to bring Lois to the United States is every year our policy team comes up with different issues that we are going to work on you know our advocates work on and one of uh, part of the job that I do is get to train you know new advocates or recruit new advocates who are interested in poverty issues of our time and learning about effective solutions of the same So one of the things that we are actually advocating on this year is the Global Fund. And just to put things in perspective, you know, the Global Fund is um, a 21st century organization of its own kind. It brings together governments. And when I talk about governments, I'm talking about donor governments like the United States. I'm talking about uh, implementing uh, countries like, you know, Zimbabwe and Kenya and other developing countries. 
It does bring together civil societies too, private sector like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and also, you know, some other uh, faith communities like even the Catholic charities. It just brings them together too with one mission of accelerating the end of HIV and AIDS, malaria, and TB. So, yes, I should say that Global Fund, its full name is Global Fund to Fight AIDS. To Fight AIDS, HIV and AIDS, TB and Malaria. Okay. That's yeah. the full name. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. It's one of the organizations that has honestly achieved tremendous success, you know, in just the fight against HIV and AIDS, TB and Malaria. It's changed the status quo of how the world, you know, fights disease. And it's one of the uh, organizations that has honestly achieved bipartisan support, you know, both sides of the aisle coming together to decide we need to focus about this issue. And when you think about this epidemics, it's beyond, you know, how we used to think about it a long time ago, you know, like it's even with global mobility. It's now not about this is happening there. You know, we need to think about it's happening home too. It's everywhere. Even with Lois coming all the way from Harare to here, it just means we we are moving from different you know parts of the world and country what's happening globally should concern us you know locally too so that's one of the reasons result is focusing on this um and result is then uh representing global fund in various communities throughout zimbabwe what's the connection between result.org and global fund so the only thing that Results does is we do high-level advocacy for the Global Fund. So our role is actually to engage our advocates to speak up on the work that the Global Fund is doing. We do not do implementation. That's the job of the Global Fund. But what we do is because we know it's an organization that's very effective, very innovative, we have seen the numbers, we have seen the statistics, what they're doing you know, in developing countries and the difference it's made in terms of saving lives, we are advocating for the work that they're doing. That's the role that we play, you know, in the United States. And why why that's important is because Congress gets to make all those decisions. So we know that they are the decision makers. And even though we probably cannot all backpack and go to Africa and, you know, make a difference there, we have our voices here. And that's the most important thing. You know, we can yeah. take our phones and, you know, call Congress and talk about these issues that we care for. We can write letters to Congress. You know, we can publish media and even like today, you know, come here and create awareness, share with you so that viewers across, you know, Colorado and Denver can get to know this is what's happening and here's what they can do, you know, at the comfort of their homes. Right. So what proportion of Global Fund comes from U.S. government funds? That's a very good question. So every every three years, the Global Fund gets replenished. This year in particular, they're asking for $14 billion overally. And the United States has been the major donor for the Global Fund, and it gives a third of, its, of, uh, of the donation to the Global Fund. So a third of the resources of the Global Fund comes from the United States. And from the U.S. government, not from private individuals? No from the U.S. government, for sure. Okay. Yes. And and then Global Fund is working throughout Tanzania, as you say. It's not just Zimbabwe. What is its reach? Yes. Yeah, so it has, uh, and I think they have more information on their website, it has to be about over 100 countries across. So the way it works is countries, which we call them the implementing countries, have to apply for grants. And one of the things that I really like about the Global Fund is it encourages country ownership. So the countries themselves draw up the plans. So a good example is I originally come from Kenya. 
Now, Kenya might have a high burden of maybe HIV and AIDS or maybe TB more than Zimbabwe. So they might our, our need or our plan and, mm-hmm. and our proposal might be completely different from, from theirs. So mm-hmm. one of the things that the Global Fund does is every single country will have a CCM, which is a country coordinating mechanism. They, it, and it consists of um, medical experts, representatives from the government, people who are actually infected by these diseases, you drop your proposals and then you get funded by the Global Fund. But then there's also an ask for the governments themselves to make a commitment to the Global Fund. That means you're also committing that you want to eradicate this disease. So there's a financial portion for the countries that are actually getting uh, funding from the Global Fund. So they have skin in the game, as we say. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yes, so it's a partnership. So now like Kenya, for example, within Kenya, could mm-hmm. could individual communities have different proposals because they have different ideas about how they want to do this? And I think Lois might have a better explanation of how it happens. Do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I can. So basically what it does, it brings all the community-based organization, it brings faith-based organization, it it brings the different ministries and the UN agencies. So they come together to a meeting because we all know that it's now time for us to write a concept not to the Global Fund. So we all sit together in a round table and we say, where are we now? What have we been able to accomplish over the past three years of the Global Fund grant? And this year and the coming three years, how much do we need? What are the most devastating or disease burden that are still occurring? For example, on the last grant of the Global Fund, we mainly focused more um, with community-based organizations that are working with adolescent girls and young women because this is where the high HIV incidents are happening. Young adults and young women? Yes, adolescent you? girls and young adolescent women. Adolescent girls. Yes. Mm. So basically, this kind of organization that focuses on a particular um, a group that we're looking at gets uh, more of the resources compared to the other organization because it's not every organization in Zimbabwe that's going to be funded because the greatest part of the Global Fund is really proc- making sure that countries have the medicines that they need to keep people alive because if we do not have this kind of um, medicines, people will die because these are very three number one, the three uh, 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 killer diseases within um, low and middle income countries like Zimbabwe as well. So that's what happens. Right, thank you for that, for the process kind of of how that rolls up um, and changes depending on the changing needs, obviously. So um, tell us a little bit about the incidences of TB, HIV, and malaria as well. Are they addressing malaria? So um, what are the incidences? What have they been and what are they now? So what I can share more, which I'm very confident and sure uh, from the top of my head, is the incidence of HIV. It's now at um, 14.5% the prevalence rate of HIV. So it's really high, and we're really working hard to making sure that this low is down. 14.5% of everyone who lives in Zimbabwe, no matter what his or her age, has HIV, is HIV positive. Yes. And how many active AIDS cases are there about? So we have one point, uh, estimated 1.4 million people are living with HIV. And um, 1.1 um, are on antiretroviral therapy. I see. Yeah. 
And TB or tuberculosis, you you might not have current figures. No, from the top of my head, I don't have, but we can always look at it. Yeah. 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 But it's not as prevalent as HIV. So uh, tuberculosis has been on the rise because it's one of the leading killer diseases. So before it was HIV, and uh, now it's um, shifting. It's now tuberculosis, followed by HIV. And in the recent years, like last year, uh, we have seen a high number of adolescent girls and young women being infected. This means that 15-year-olds to 24, this is where uh, the HIV increase has been happening. And it's really a worry because these are like recent statistics that we have got in 2018. So we are trying to look at uh, more of innovative ways to making sure that adolescent girls and young women are empowered. Because globally, um, it's really also an issue that's on the rise to an extent of having 1,000 adolescent girls being infected with HIV every day. 1,000 girls every day. Are being infected with HIV. Now, is there any speculation as to why this particular population is so at risk now? Oh, yeah. I think it's because um, people have been focusing more on newborn babies because they thought this is where... um, uh, the more trends are happening and looking at adults and leaving this age group of uh, adolescent girls and young women. They thought that this is an age group that um, is not really affected. But um, over the past, I can say, two years, it has been really uh, going up. I think maybe many of the reasons it's because of gender-based violence that occurs. It's because of a lot of drop dropout of school that happens among adolescent girls and young women and some of the reasons are around poverty and generally it's because adolescent girls and young women are not really empowered to make informed decisions about their own health and when you look at the 10 to 15 year olds generally not looking at HIV these are the age group that are facing a dilemma from from coming being a child and in between to becoming an adult. And psychologically, a lot of things are happening, and they cannot really make informed decisions. Do you think it's also because uh, fewer girls are educated than boys? So girls don't have as much access to education in general? Yes. Education about everything? Yes, it could be one of the reasons. So it's case by case. Every adolescent girl and young woman goes through different dilemmas. And um, what I have just shared with you, it's one of some of the reasons that goes through in terms of uh, the challenging issues that adolescent girls and young women are face. And it's really amazing that um, whilst we have seen this increase, the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and Malaria and other partners have gathered together to really say we need to invest in making sure that adolescent girls and young women have a better future and they don't remain in risk of this um, disease burden. So there's a general advocacy for this group all yes. in all for a, a broad education as well as information, health information. Yes, empowering them and making sure that they are in school because the moment that you're not going to school, a lot of things happen. So they are trying to making sure that every adolescent girl and young woman is in school. And if they're in school, it means they are less at risk. Imagine that you're just at home, you're doing nothing. You think of a lot of um, things that makes you be at risk. Sure, and there's less supervision and so forth, and safety, right. 
So can I add something? Yes, go ahead, Alice. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to add about the progress, the part for the progress. Okay. Okay. So um, the Global Fund was started back in 2002, and since then they've been able to save uh, 27 million lives. Uh, in 2017 itself, the Global Fund provided HIV antiretroviral uh, therapy for 17.5 million people, treated 5 million for TB, and 108 mi million people for malaria. Even though we've done, you know, incredible progress, I mean, when you think about the 19, late 1900s and maybe early 2000, when these diseases were really prevalent, uh, we've really been able to make a great progress. I mean... We've been able to cut the death toll by half. 